Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to you. Thank you for tuning in and joining me today. We're going to continue today in our Beauty of Grace series, and we're going to look at Lesson 47, The Codification of Grace. The Codification of Grace. What do I mean by this? Well, first of all, let's just look at the definition for codification or codifying something. It's normally a judicial or legal type term. It talks about the act of making laws into a written code of laws, making a digest or a code of laws. For instance, every state in the Union of the United States, every nation and country has some form of code of laws. For instance, let's just examine a couple of things. Traffic or travel and transportation laws. There are speed limits, for instance. There are zones where there are people working or whatever, and there are certain things that have to be done. There are school buses, and there are certain traffic laws concerning other vehicles that are driving on the road with school buses when school buses need to stop and deliver the children or pick up children. There are traffic crimes and punishments for those crimes that are included there. Speeding tickets or fines. The law covers that. The law will tell you, the code of laws will tell you some of these different crimes and things. There are codes of laws that deal with property ownership or the titling of property. There are codes of laws that deal with inheritance. When someone has died and, and the family has a will or maybe doesn't have a will. So there are state codes of laws on a variety of things in our lives. Codification is to make a code of law. Generally, it is from judicial decisions or some form of legal proceedings or acts, depending on whether it's, say, a parliament or a House of Representatives, a Senate proceeding, etc. It's the creation of codes from compilations of written statutes, laws, regulations, and so forth that address and clarify acceptable and unacceptable behavior. Now, let me clarify, we're not talking about legalism in this episode, but I do want you to see some beauties in the codification of grace. In the last episode, we looked at the continuation of grace, talking about leaving a legacy behind us, leaving a legacy of faith so that other generations will know the truth about God and love Him and follow Him themselves. In that lesson, we talked about the phrase, I don't know who to attribute it to, but it says, more is caught than taught. More is caught than taught. Meaning that our life, our example in life, our behavior, our choices, our decisions in practical daily life is speaking loud and clear to others. They're looking at our example in how we live more so than what we say. So there's an impetus on us to seek to live godly lives, lives that will model the truth 
about God and teach about Christian living. Show how true Christians should be living. So how do we know acceptable from unacceptable behavior? How do we know right living from dangerous or loose living, we might say? The hyper-grace movement might tell you that, oh, you can live any way you want to, and you're in the end club, you're okay with God. That's not true, beloved friend. That's a sham. Don't believe that lie. That does not mean that we do works to earn our salvation. That's not what we're talking about. But God has right behavior for each of his children that honors him, reveals him and his character and ways to others. And it points the way for them also to live to please him when we live that way. Now, we do not seek to please God, as we said, to earn any kind of salvation. It's not about that. We can't do that. The Bible tells us in Romans 6:23 that salvation is a free gift of God's grace. And we have talked in detail about that in many of our early lessons. But once we are saved, God desires that we live our lives as a reflection of him, that we are showing others Jesus we're showing his love. We're showing his character. We're showing how to live in a manner of right relationship and pleasure, pleasing to him. Showing others who he is, what he's like, what he can do for them. And blessing us in the process when we live that way. We receive blessings from the Lord. So God has given us his word. And in his word lies, in essence, the codification of grace. Lest we get into legalism, which is not of God, let's look a bit deeper to understand what we mean in this study. I want to start out by reading in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through 17. Paul is writing to young Timothy and he says this, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, we see here that Paul is telling Timothy of the importance and the value of the word of God. Jesus himself, in John chapter 8, verse 30 through 32, tells brand new Christians to continue in his word. Get into the word of God. Read it. Let the Holy Spirit begin to help you understand it. So Jesus is teaching this as well. There is a value. There is an authority and there is a fruitfulness of the word of the living God. It accomplishes several things, we're told right here in these verses. It can draw people to be saved. It makes them wise unto salvation, Paul said. It gives us doctrine, learning the truth about Jesus, God, mankind, salvation, godliness, our eternal future, all of that is found in the Word of God. It teaches us the truth. There is absolute truth, and it is found in no other place but in the Word of the living God. 
it gives us reproof. In other words, when we mess up, it convicts us. It shows us where we went astray, where we sinned, and what to do about it now, because the next thing it does is gives us correction. It shows us how to return to the Lord and be restored. For instance, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John is writing his epistle to the saints, to the church. And so he's talking about when we mess up, when we don't do it completely right, because none of us are perfect. We're all going to stray or, or sin at times. But the word of God gives us reproof and correction. It shows us what to do. That's just one example. It also gives us instruction in righteousness, guiding us with his word, his principles, his code to show us how to live right every single day. This is powerful. The word of God is powerful. And its purpose is so that we can be fully equipped and complete, ready for every good work, including leaving that legacy that we talked about earlier so that we live in a manner where people catch the truth about God because we are living it. Others can catch it from us in a sense. In a sense, you might say we become contagious, but in a very good way. Now, initially, you might think with a study like this and a topic like today's message that we're talking about Moses' law. Let's look into some things about this. The Torah is what we consider to be Moses' law. The Jews even refer to it in that sense. It's contained in those first five books of Moses. And the word Torah in Hebrew literally means to give direction to or to point to. Paul defined it in Galatians chapter 3 as our tutor to lead us to Christ. Or in some versions, it says schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. It was pointing to Christ. The Torah, the Jews say, contains about 613 commandments. And in the Torah itself, God, in a sense, narrowed those down, you might say, to 10 commandments. Jesus comes along and he basically narrows them down to two. But he expounds on all of them. He shows God's heart. He shows God's character. He shows God's nature. The purpose of the law was to prove that we need a Savior. We need someone perfect that could stand in our place in full obedience to the law because we cannot keep them ourselves. It is not possible. But the law is still giving directions even to this day. It leads us to Christ. It points us to Christ for our salvation. But it also still gives light to us today and direction for us to understand. Now, I've covered this in detail, this point in detail, in another series that I did. I think it's only two or three lessons. But it's called The Cross is the Filter. And I would encourage you to look that up. The Cross is the Filter. It's in the archives. Some of the things from the Old Testament were completely fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Some are still applicable to every one of us today. And I would include the Ten Commandments in that for sure. For instance, 
Stealing is still wrong, and it still applies to the church today. Paul even admonishes that. Let him who stole steal no more. Jesus himself admonished us in regard to adultery, that adultery is still wrong. Matter of fact, he took it a step further, and he said not only is adultery the physical sin of it wrong, but the very thought of it, having the sexual desires and the lust that's associated with that, staying in your mind and developing in your mind, Jesus said that's the same thing because you've committed adultery in your heart. Same thing with murder. Jesus says you're not going to kill anybody. That comes directly from the Ten Commandments. But Jesus also says, if you hate your brother in your heart, you've already killed him in your heart. It's a heart issue. Jesus' law that he gave was to love one another. And he also said that that, that was the true test of his lordship over us and our discipleships. They will know that we are his disciples by true love that we have for one another. Living a life in obedience to him that continues, it continues to honor him. The Torah reveals God's nature in these laws. It reveals God's best for us in these laws in many areas. And it reveals God's heart for our good in these laws in many areas. But there is no legalism. We don't have to keep those things to earn any brownie points with God. But we should honor the word of God. And we should have understanding in light of these New Testament admonitions and directions. I want us to also look at Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. It says this, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. What Paul is writing to the Jews and saying here in this book of Romans is that they had zeal for God's law, but their zeal and their human efforts alone was not enough. Not one person could ever live in total obedience to the Ten Commandments, much less the 613. But Paul is saying here, you had zeal for God, but you were seeking to establish your own righteousness. In other words, you're seeking to do it by your own self, by your own human efforts. And you're not realizing that you can't and you need the Messiah. You need Yeshua, the Messiah, because he is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who will believe. That word for end is, end is talking about aim or goal. He was the goal. In other words, we talked about earlier how the Torah means that it was pointing to or giving direction to. Jesus is the one the Torah was pointing to. Moses' law was directing us to Jesus Christ. It was directing us to the only one who could be perfect and keep every point of it and then die in our place, imparting to us justification and salvation by faith alone. Paul called it our tutor to lead us to Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment, the sacrifices. 
We don't have to go to any temple. There isn't a living temple of God standing at this time today. But we, even if there was, we couldn't go and we wouldn't be bringing sacrifices. We don't have to do that anymore. Jesus is the fulfillment of all those sacrifices. He was the once for all sacrifice, according to the book of Hebrews. He's the living Ark of the Covenant, you might say. He's God himself come in the flesh, and he is the Savior of the world. He met every single demand on our behalf and paid for every sin himself in our place. So we're not talking about works to keep the law. But once we are saved, there are instructions in the New Testament that confirm that there are still acceptable and unacceptable behaviors. There's still a codification even in the New Testament. For instance, in Romans chapter 6 through 8, it clearly teaches that once we are saved, works are real and they are the proof of real salvation. The book of James clarifies this also and says the same thing. The works are not to earn salvation, but they are evidence of our salvation, evidence of real saving faith and surrender to living for Jesus and accepting him because Peter says in Acts chapter 2 that God has made him both Lord and Christ, Lord and Messiah. We are best to surrender and to accept the authority of the word of God. Just like in the natural, we're best if we live according to natural laws when they do not contradict the word of the living God. For instance, the traffic laws. We do best when we don't go speeding on highways. When you go speeding at, at you know, high speeds or whatever, you're endangering yourself, you're endangering other people, and you're certainly setting yourself up to perhaps get ticketed or have your license revoked, and then you can't drive at all. So, I mean, we do better if we obey those laws. You know, we do better if we try not to steal any property or rob a bank, because then we don't have to go to jail. We do better if we don't participate in alcoholism or adultery or other sexual sins that can destroy families, destroy lives, destroy occupations and, and careers. We need to obey and honor the Word of God, and we do best when we will surrender and accept the authority of it. We shouldn't be afraid or rebellious toward God's codification in grace. Notice Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 30. He speaks about several examples. He talks about how not one jot or tittle will fail from the word of God, but all will be fulfilled. He's giving honor to the word of God and reverence for it. But he also gives examples here. He spoke about the adultery versus lust. He said, you know, you've heard it said, if you commit adultery, it's wrong. But I say to you, even if you lust after someone in your heart, you've already committed adultery in your heart to them. He talks about murder and hatred, as we spoke of earlier. He talks about swearing and oaths. In other words, not to, not to be telling lies, but to tell the truth and not to be making rash vows. So Jesus is saying that it, the codification of grace is not just what was written in the, in the law of Moses, but he even takes it to a deeper level. 
because God's always been dealing with the heart. You don't commit an act of sin unless you have thought about it or desired it in your heart to begin with. So Jesus cut straight to the, the heart of the matter. The difference in the New Testament is that we now are under what's called the New Covenant. And in the New Covenant, this the difference that comes in how we can do these things that Jesus is saying is it comes from within. It comes from the heart that's been redeemed and saved from the motivation of love and gratitude and the desire to serve the Lord and to please Him. And this happens through the power of the Holy Spirit, enabling us to live in obedience, not perfectly, but He is our help. He leads us, He empowers us, He convicts us, and He restores us when we repent. The codification of God's Word is not gone. It's just different. Let's look at two places as we begin to draw to a close in this episode. Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning in verse 31, it says this, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. So Jeremiah is prophesying about a coming new covenant that will happen at a later time. In the book of Hebrews, the author tells us this covenant has come now. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 8, beginning of verse 7, it says this, For if that first covenant had been faultless, this is talking about Moses' law, the demands of Moses' law that, that we could never have kept on our own anyway. He says, if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. In other words, that would have done it. We could all be saved that way. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers, in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. So he's just quoted the exact same scripture from Jeremiah that we just read. Verse 13 of chapter 8 of Hebrews. In that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. 
Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So in other words, he's telling us here, the first covenant couldn't do it. It wasn't powerful enough. It was ineffective. You read the book of Hebrews and you can see that in many places. So God gave us the promise in Jeremiah. And by the time the author of Hebrews writes this, it's been fulfilled. We now have a new covenant. Notice he says in the new covenant, the terms that God's laws are going to be written in our hearts and in our minds, not on tablets of stone, but in our flesh, in our very hearts, in our very minds. This is done by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. When the rhema word comes to life, when God's Holy, when God's Holy Spirit begins to teach us and show us these things and speak to us, even as baby Christians, notice it said from the least of them, even to the greatest. And this is done by the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. This is an act of God's grace on our behalf. And the word of God blesses us when we understand and obey it, submitting to its authority. I want to discuss that a little bit more in the next lesson. And I want us to see some beautiful things when we look at the authority of God's word and our reception of that. God freed us from trying to keep the law in order to be saved or be in right relationship with him because we never could have done that anyway. But now we get to honor and seek to obey it in order to serve him, to glorify him, to thank him, and to love him with all of our hearts. And thereon we can continue grace from one generation to the next because we're living and modeling this by the choices that we make through the law being written in our hearts because of the codification of grace. I pray that this is a blessing to you and that you can join us again for more episodes of our Beauty of Grace series. God bless you today. In Jesus' name, amen.